best tool ever devised for understanding how the world works. Science is a very human form of knowledge. We are always at the brink of the node. Science is a collaborative enterprise spinning the generations. We remember those who prepared the way, seeing through them also. Hi, everyone, and welcome to uh, this month's installment of Beer with Blue Marble Space Institute of Science. I'm Jacob Huck-Misra. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we've got a great show for you today. If uh, this is your first time listening to us, this is a show that uh, highlights the philosophies, research, and ideas of the members of the Blue Marble Space Institute of Science and our colleagues and friends. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about our institute, you can visit us online at bmsis.org. And you can hear more episodes of the podcast at bmsis.org slash podcast. So today we have Dr. Emma Miller joining us. She's going to tell us about her experiences in mentorship and education. But first, to start things off with our beverage introduction, uh, we have Sanjoy Sam. I will first then add our um, obligatory disclaimer that uh, be of age to imbibe alcohol in your location. Sanjoy, please. Thank you, Jacob, for, the, for introducing this great podcast. Um, this month's beverage is actually a cola that comes from a brewery. So the cola has the app name of Curiosity. It's a uh, cola that is brewed in England. And uh, Curiosity is a great name for it because Curiosity kind of drove all of us to become scientists and that benefited from mentoring during our younger days. And Curiosity is also the name of the Mars rover. So I thought it would be really interesting to have it as the month beverage. So it's a very interesting cola because, as I said, it comes from a brewery. And therefore, it has an alcoholic content of half a percent by volume. But that's still the legal limit in which it can be sold as a soft drink. So while researching this, I found that you know this cola has the same alcohol content as 7-Up which we think as a soda and alcohol-free. It turns out there's a little bit of alcohol in it in the fermentation process, which is very interesting. Um, it is botanically brewed, which means that it comes from uh, gin ginger roots and herbs. And uh, the roots are steamed in a pan that's covered with copper. And then the liquid is extracted and then added uh, our herbs and the fermentation process and yeast that yields the fermentation process. Carbon dioxide is then added later on for the, the bubbly taste, and that also acts as a preservative. So it is a technically non-alcoholic, but alcoholic cola called Curiosity. The brewery is called Fentimans, and it comes from Yorkshire in England. So I've already started. <laughs> so cheers. <laughs> this month, we are very excited to have Dr. Emma Miller come to give us a presentation on mentoring. Emma has a PhD in Applied Management and Decision Sciences from Walden University and is the administrator for Blue Marble Space as well as the program coordinator for the SegaNet.org mentoring program. So she brings a wealth of, of experience in management and, uh, and mentoring. She has published a book on mentoring. Um, you can find it on Amazon as, as well as on our store on bmsis.org. And with that, Emma, thank you again so much for joining us, and the floor is yours. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, I'm pretty excited to be here and have this discussion with you all. It's actually my first podcast. <laughs> my background is really business, uh, not as much as science. However, you know, as when you're doing uh, your research, 
you have in science, regardless of what the discipline you're in. And today's topic is mentoring. Um, it kind of was kind of spawned from my dissertation because I wanted to find out why students were dropping out at the PhD level, you know, in such high numbers. And it turned out that it was all the other factors like, you know, time management and uh, family, work, all these other things. But as it turns out, it was really mentoring. They felt very lonely. That began my journey into mentoring, not realizing that all this time when I was teaching in some of my classes, I was mentoring students along. So now I've developed a little more appreciation for the mentoring concept. And in my world, in the business world, uh, you know, we have known for a very long time that mentoring is key to the success of the organization. When somebody is brought on to the company, we want to assign them somebody that's been in the company, you know, that's for a while, that's considered senior, knows the ropes and things like that. And in order for the newcomer to feel welcome, to have a point of contact for who to go to when you're having issues or questions about how to do things uh, so they don't feel lonely in the new uh, in their new roles. However, in education, whether it be in the public schools or higher ed, Mentoring has not been typically embraced. Little by little, through the last couple of years, I have noticed a trend that mentoring is starting to become more important in both environments, uh, school districts and higher ed, as a, because they're noticing there's a high attrition rate. And they're kind of combining and noticing that mentoring has had something to do with the attrition. They believe that it helps them or it will help them to keep their students in school, uh, regardless of the environment. When you're mentoring students, you have to recognize that everybody comes from different cultures. And uh, for example, you know, my background, I'm Hispanic. And so where I live in South Texas, it's predominantly Hispanic. And uh, the concept when you're trying to get across to students and families that an education is important, you have to really sell it to the families. You know, you can mentor the students and they get it, but the families might not. Uh, typically in, the, in, in our world, the families want you to hurry up and get out and go to work, but this is not what we want to do. We want to encourage the students to come back and stay in school and continue their education. So you have to understand their culture, what you're facing, because it's not just the student. You have a lot of different uh, things that you have to understand about the different cultures, the way they behave, the way they speak, you know, space issues, you know, how to speak to them. It's, you have to be careful. But once you have them engaged, then it's, it's a really exciting process. Uh, how many of you have had experience maybe mentoring students or were mentored? It's kind of nice to have that, right? Somebody that you can go and run to when you get stuck on something. <laughs> But, you know, not everybody can be a mentor. You can have mentors, and uh, some people say, well, I'd like to mentor, but uh, there's different kinds of mentors. You have somebody who's willing to listen to you. They want to talk to you. They want to learn about you to get you to meet your goals and encourage you to get there. And then you have other folks that think that they're mentoring, but what they're trying to do really is impose their way of thought on you. And... And then they will kind of try to drive you to the, to the point where, you know, there's a little cartoon that I have that you'll, you know, when you get the PowerPoint presentation, you'll see it. It's like the Beavis and Butthead, if you remember. It's like they show you, take it, take it, take it. Well, you know, you're not, you can't do that with students, not when you're trying to mentor. Uh, you have to be able to respect them. 
uh, as individuals. So what is mentoring? Does anybody have any ideas of what mentoring is? Enrica, do you have any ideas? Well, mentoring is sometimes just be someone who's there for you and is capable of listening and guide you through some difficult paths, giving you some piece of advice. Not always necessary, though. Um, share your experience with someone who has less experience so that they can put things into a broader context and see things from a different perspective than the little ditch that they have digged and from which reality has become some sort of distorted and they cannot see the broader picture, the broader perspective. Yeah. Good, good. Well, you know, a more formal uh, definition of that is it's considered a nurturing process, which is a skill that's brought on by a, an experienced person that serves as a role model. Uh, sometimes they can take the form of teachers. Sometimes it's a sponsor. They serve as counselors. They encourage the mentee. They can, you know, be friends of the mentee. They provide guidance to the mentee. They provide assistance. They provide attention support. They like to work in team environments. They're readily accessible and tough. And sometimes, you know, it's um, not easy on the part of the mentor to be able to do all of these things because you're also running 100 miles an hour doing many other things. And yet you still have to be able to focus on that student or students and provide all of these things. And it's not easy. It, it really is not easy. Uh, it takes a lot of patience, a lot of understanding on the part of the mentor to be able to provide all of these items. But an effective mentor can do great things for their students, for their, for their mentees. And, you know, yes, not all mentors are created equal. Mentors do require proper training. For all our new mentors that are coming on board, we would like to provide some kind of orientation or process where we actually train you to be able to mentor students on the do's and don'ts and, and, you know, for questions that you have to be able to ask. Many times you're just thrown in there and say, okay, you're going to mentor these people and you have no clue what to do because you don't know what you're doing. Perhaps you might not be as effective as a mentor as you could possibly be if you had the proper training. So training is, is, uh, is very important. It's also not as cut dry. It's, a, it's actually very complicated because you have to involve so many different things when you're mentoring students. You have to be able to nurture. You have to be able to counsel, encourage your students. It doesn't matter whether they're in public schools, uh, like we're getting ready to do with all of our students in the different programs that we have going, or if you're in higher education. You know, the process is the same. It's not, it's not easy. Uh, because people confuse mentoring. Mentoring is not coaching, and mentoring is not an advisor. When you advise a student, you're basically showing them in how to navigate through their academic piece. You know, what courses to take, you know, what courses to substitute. I mean, just more of an academic side. That's an advisor, somebody who provides guidance with for your courseware. A coach actually helps you with a specific area. You know, maybe they'll coach you in, in math. Maybe they're coaching you in reading or critical skills or critical thinking. They have specific areas that they're actually coaching you, just like you would, you know, have a coach 
that helps you become a better football player, a better basketball player. You have coaches for different things. In this case, mentoring is not either one of those. Mentoring involves so much more than those things. And a lot of times you have, if some of you, you know, at some point become faculty, the faculty member, you know, you've had a long day, students are coming to you, and you have to listen to them, uh, listen to their problems, their, what's, what they're, you know, experiencing. And sometimes they all, they want, all they want is somebody to listen to them about their personal problems. And many of them don't want to listen. They don't think that that's part of the mentoring process. But in reality, it kind of is. Because if they can't get past their personal issues, then they're not going to get to what they really need to be working on. If you're working on your papers, if you've got a lot of issues personally going on, and you need to be able to have somebody that you feel comfortable with and that you trust, that you can actually speak to them about that before you can actually get down to the real problem of the piece of the portion of the paper that you're trying to write. So it's very important that you listen. I have a question then. What is the difference between a mentor and a counselor who listens yeah. to personal issues? You cannot overcome your personal issues and therefore you cannot concentrate on, on Yeah. Them. Yeah. But the counselor, and remember, mentoring involves the nurturing, the counseling, all of those things, but a counselor really focuses on just your personal piece because the mentor one listens to you, but then encourages to for you to go past that and then start working towards your goals, your academic goals. The counselor is not going to do that. The counselor just wants to listen to you and make you feel better and, and tell you that the world is going to be okay. The, the mentor listens to every piece of you. They watch you from the beginning of your project to the end if possible. If you're fortunate to have that mentor all along your program, that's great. I mean, I had that when I was in school. My chair was my mentor. And uh, she championed for me all across, you know, my entire time at Walden. So there is a difference. And you know, there were times where we would just chat on the phone about personal things. But then she would, you know, say, okay, now let's, let's get back on the, you know, because life happens. Let's get together and uh, move forward. How can we turn this around? And that's their job is to get you back on the horse and get moving again. Okay. So that's, that's the difference. And remember that, you know, the reason why students feel they, they, they need somebody is because they feel isolated. And, you know, when you're isolated uh, and if nobody's around to kind of champion for you and tell you that you can do it, regardless of how difficult it is, you know, that they're right there with you every step of the way then they might tend to just leave school. I, I had a, a colleague of mine that, you know, he was he had done all the coursework, and when it got right down to the paper to write the dissertation, he dropped out. And I asked him why. And he said, well, because he didn't think he could write. Had he had somebody, a mentor, that would have told him, hey, don't worry about it. I'm right here with you. I'll be glad to help you in those parts that you think you, you need assistance. I bet you that person would probably, he would have finished. And so it's the same thing with our students. A lot of them come with perceptions that they don't, uh, that math is too difficult, that science is too difficult, they can't do it. And so they need the mentor to constantly be encouraging them to say, yes, you can. And here's how we're going to you know, tackle it one step at a time until we get there. We reach the goal of finishing your project, you know, finishing the school year, whatever it is. 
that's what the mentor does so that they will not feel isolated. Because a lot of times, you know, they might not have anybody else to talk to. They might not feel comfortable speaking with people. But if they if you build that trust with your mentor, then they will be apt to talk to you and, you know, feel more comfortable in thinking positively now that they can do it. And that's the important part. That's the biggest role for the mentor is to encourage students to believe in themselves. They can accomplish what they set out to do. Emma, I had a question in terms of the mentor's self-judgment into handling issues. Like sometimes you can have a personal conversation with someone who is your mentee, but information is then shared that is can be quite overwhelming for the mentor if it's a really serious issue that the mentee has. Like sometimes we're not, we're not trained to handle those such big potential emotional conflicts. How does one handle that? Normally, when uh, when a student has a major issue going on in their lives, and they, you know, perhaps, you know, and, and you hear a lot, they're going through a divorce, or somebody died, or something happened, something really major in life happened, and they'll come and talk to you about it. You can encourage them to seek professional counseling, because remember, you are not a licensed counselor, so you want to send them to somebody who is, uh, if it's a very, if it's a major issue. If it's something that's causing them to be depressed all the time, perhaps they need to go visit a doctor, a professional, uh, and you might just want to encourage them to do that. And that's about all you can do. When you're talking to students, and this is part of what Sandra's question was, is, you know, when you're communicating with the students, you have to be an effective communicator. You have to be able to convey to the student in a way that they will understand what you're trying to say. If you're, most of you all are um, scientists, you know, when you're, when you're speaking, if you're trying to explain to me something so, to someone who doesn't have a, you know, a science degree, a background like that, you have to explain to me in layman's terms so that I understand. I should be able to understand. So it's the same thing for them. You have to be able to communicate with them in a way that they will understand what you're trying to uh, convey. You have to be able to remember that when you communicate with them, your words and how you say them carry a lot of weight. Uh, so you have to be careful. Certain comments, certain you know, nonverbal behaviors might make the mentee uncomfortable, might make them feel like maybe you're talking down to them, and that's not how you want to communicate with them. You want to always communicate with them in a positive way, because po- you're supposed to be a positive role for them. Uh, you're a role model. They want to be like you. So they're going to watch you and they want to see everything that you're doing. Uh, and so you have to be very professional with them during that uh, time that you're talking to them. It's um, very critical to have trust between the mentor and the mentee. Remember, they lack motivation. They don't have enthusiasm. They need encouragements. And so they need to feel confident and they're not going to feel confident, you know, unless they trust you. So at, as the days go by, you are building that trust with them. This is where they come talk to you about things. This is where they come and tell you and spill their guts about how they're, they don't understand the math. They don't understand the science. You know, they feel that they're, that they're not capable of learning. But yet you have to turn that around and build their trust as well to say, yes, you can. And here, let me show you how we're going to accomplish that. Little steps, you know, and every little step as you take, 
is building trust with the uh, with the mentees. You have a more fruitful relationship with your mentee when they have trust. You also have to understand the student, and it requires that the student be open and honest with you, and they're not going to do that unless they trust you. Uh, but once they've gained that trust, they're going to open up and tell you things and be honest about their feelings or maybe honest about how they feel about you as a mentor, you know, and you have to be able to receive that criticism as well and not feel offended. When students come to you and say, you know what, I don't really think you're, you're helping me in this way, then don't get offended. Just say, oh, okay, well, I didn't realize it, but thank you for letting me know. Uh, how do you think I can better help you? is a good way to respond to a student that's telling you something like that. This is what you have to do uh, and let them know that it's okay for them to tell you when you're not doing your job. I always would tell my, uh, my employees, tell me when I'm not doing something right because if you don't tell me, then I don't know how to, I can't fix it because I don't know that there's something that needs to be fixed. So it's very important that you have a reciprocity of communication between the mentee and the mentor. And of course, you know, we talked about being very busy all the time. So we have to be very flexible with our schedules because if you're, you know, most of the time you will meet with the students after hours, uh, weekends. Uh, if you're, if it's on the web, then, you know, it's during the day sometime, maybe your lunch hour. So you have to be very flexible as a mentor to be able to uh, ensure that there's always constant communication with them. Uh, regardless of the format, so that they still feel connected to you and uh, they don't feel, again, isolated and uh, that you are listening because listening is a major part of mentoring. They tell me that I'm guilty of speaking before I finish listening to what they're trying to tell me. So, you know, when you're mentoring, you have to be careful. You have to listen to them. They want to know that you care. And one way to do that is to listen Non-behavioral observations, everything that you do, they're watching you. If you're constantly looking at your watch, well, they're going to know, okay, this person's got things, you know, more important thing than me. And that's not going to sit well with the mentee. They want to know that when you're there, if you're going to be there for 20 minutes, an hour, then focus 100% of your time should be with that student or a group of students. They should feel that they're the most important thing in that one hour. Regardless of your mind going 100 miles an hour thinking after this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, you know. Pretend none of the other things exist. Focus with them and listen to them so that they feel important and cared. So you know that, for example, you've, you've, you've had that concept where you go visit your faculty member about a question and they're busy multitasking and you're sitting right there. And you waited a long time to talk to them and they're multitasking, doing other things. Don't do that. You know, don't be watching, don't be texting, don't be doing all these other things when you're mentoring your students. Let them know that uh, it's 100% their time and you're there to help them. You have to have uh, and show respect for your, for your mentees. That's also important when you're mentoring students. That's part of the trust that uh, they want to feel that you respect them as individuals because that builds rapport and also helps increase their motivation and their enthusiasm on their part when they feel respected. If they feel like you're talking down to them or belittling them, then they're not gonna wanna have anything to do with you. And that's not the role of the mentor. The mentor always encourages. They build respect and respect goes both ways. It's not just from the mentor to the mentee, but the mentee to the mentor. 
You're teaching them skills, life skills on communication, on critical thinking, listening, trusting people. All these things come together when you're mentoring students. It's not just the subject matter, but it's lifelong skills as well that you're uh, building with these students. Particularly if you've got a school district like one of our programs where they're very, they have very at high risk students, that's even you know more difficult for the mentor because they they really need to feel the love, if you will, uh, from the mentor saying, hey, you know, I care about you, I understand you, I know you're having a difficult time, but I'm here to help you. But remember, you might be the only positive thing in their lives, so it's very important that you try to build all of these things with them. You know, building confidence. A lot of these kids don't have self-confidence. And your role is to help build that confidence as well as a mentor. Help them believe that they can achieve the things they want to do. Empower them. That's what we want to do is get them to that point where they feel confident enough to know that they can handle things on their own. A lot of times they don't have that role model at home. And so they need somebody that they can count on to encourage them that can help them anywhere, anytime that they go. You know, many of us have learned them, They've, we've taken them for granted, but all these kids, a lot of them don't have that. They don't have the role models. And so therefore, the mentor becomes that role model that helps them achieve. And remember, we're humans. Sometimes we'll stumble through things, but in the end, we wanna make sure that they have all of these tools so that they can always use them. And that's really what mentoring is. Anybody have any questions? That was uh, great. I think we'll definitely have a lot of questions. Um, I'll note that Sanjoy just typed into the chat box uh, a good definition of mentor. A formal mentor is a motivated and empathetic individual responsible for confidentially empowering a mentee to make significant transitions in knowledge, work, or thinking by thoughtfully asking genuine and profound questions that promote self-development. I think that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Andrika, you had a question? Yes, I do. Can a, an advisor be a mentor as well, or should the two be separated? No, you can be both. You can, have, you can wear both hats. A little tricky. It, it is tricky because you can, you know, it just depends on what your role is at the school. You can wear the two hats. One is the academic piece where you're guiding them through the process of what courses to take and in what order and things like that. And then you have the mentor piece that says, okay, you're going to be taking, you know, biology, you're going to be taking chemistry, you're going to be taking all these things. And those are going to be a little difficult. However, I want to encourage you and let you know that I believe you can do it. And if you, you know, need assistance or if you need somebody to talk to about them, just let me know. And that's where you become the mentor. Just be careful with that balancing act. Don't yes. do one when you're supposed to be doing the other. Exactly. Yeah, one thing I noticed from uh, being a PhD student and talking to other people in, in similar science programs, where you have an advisor who is kind of a mentor, at least in, um, in terms of helping you come into the fold of other scientists and encouraging you to go to conferences, encouraging you to mm -hmm. develop your own ideas and think about things like that. And every now and then I'll see uh, an advisor who manages to also become a mentor and, and does take an interest in the student's personal life. Yeah. They seem to be few and far between, but then you yeah. also have the opposite where the advisor is actually not only bad at being a mentor, but also pretty bad at being an advisor. And those seem to be the students yeah. that have the most frustrating time in grad school. 
But I think the way a faculty member is selected has nothing to do with any of those skills. No. So I think it's a very frust it can, can be very frustrating for grad students who get the wrong advisor. They get someone who published a lot of papers and brings in a lot of grant money, does not necessarily help you advise or mentor. Yeah. Uh, so that's a big challenge, I think, especially today. That's true. Something for all the hiring committees to be thinking about, yes. I noticed in grad school where I was, some faculty members took on the role as a, of a informal mentor for many students where everyone has an advisor, but a couple of the faculty members were just more personable, more friendly, more interested in inviting students over for an informal meal or, or activities or things like mm -hmm. that. I even had a, a philosophy of science group that was encouraged by a faculty member who had nothing to do with my research, just happened to be in the department and we took an interest in philosophy together and many other people in the department did as well. So that was very helpful and very much mentoring because if you sit around talking philosophy, drinking beer, you're gonna talk about life a little bit too. But those, it really kind of just happened organically and spontaneously and it wasn't something that you could force. And even we tried to keep it going after we all graduated and it didn't work because you just didn't have the right group of personalities that uh, fit together. Uh, well, thank you, Emma, for your talk. It was very clarifying. I wonder, you said you had a mentor, right? Uh-huh. I wonder uh, whether uh, it was part of a, a specific mentoring program or was it a coincidence? Was something, someone that you trusted? What Walden does is they assign mentors to you from the very beginning. But we always had the opportunity that if we were not getting along with our mentors and we found somebody else that we liked during our residencies, that we were allowed to fire our mentors, <laughs> to yeah. let them go and, and pick new ones. Somebody that, you know, we felt more comfortable and we trusted more. Um, so we had that flexibility. It just okay, so happened that the one they assigned to me, I really enjoyed and, and liked. So I, I kept her all the way through. And how do the teachers see uh, the mentoring program? For most teachers, they already have a full plate. The faculty are not used to it. They're used to just teaching their load uh, and then going home. But a lot of faculty actually take the time to mentor their students because they're genuinely concerned and they want to make sure that they do well, not only in their classes, but probably other classes. Emma, I guess I have one, I guess two last questions. One of which is, in your experience, what is the most optimal time frame for a mentoring exchange? Is it 15 minutes? Is it one hour? And is there particular age groups that are more responsive to mentoring? My sense is that it's a kind of a global universal as a matter of how old you are. Perhaps studies show that different ages are better recipients of it. I don't know. No, I, it, no, it just depends. Um, you know, everybody likes to have somebody help them out through a difficult situation. It doesn't matter what age you're in. I mean, I, I do that now. Uh, when I was going through my program, even though I had an assigned official mentor, at the college that I was working at, I had another colleague of mine who became my ghost mentor. I ran things through her first. She guided me through certain questions that I couldn't understand that I was not getting clarification from. She cleared those items for me. And then I would move forward with my mentor and my paperwork. So I actually had two folks help me. And so now she, the things that she learned through my experiences mentoring me, she's now using with her students. And so both parties learn. Uh, and it doesn't matter the age group. Time-wise, 
really, if it's a public school district, you're kind of have a constraint about their time. If they want you to meet for 20 minutes, then that's the, you have to do your best in 20 minutes. I have students that I still talk to at Walden that I still mentor. I just use email with them. There's not even a face-to-face time with them yet. Sometimes I talk to them on the phone for 30 minutes. It could be an hour. It just really depends on, on the person and how flexible your schedule is. You know, because some folks like to meet for an hour, and that's great. In a, um, a lot of us meet in restaurants just to chat about, you know, the different process and what everybody's going through or catch up uh, or just celebrate successes. That's important. Well, I think that's great advice. Hopefully, this will uh, encourage you know more people to get involved in mentorship. Uh, I think this is a great point to uh, a great place to put in a plug for our uh, Sagan initiative. The Sagan Net initiative is heavily in- involved in mentoring in several different areas right now. And if you'd like to learn more about that and perhaps uh, get involved as partic- in participating as a mentor, you can learn more at SaganNet.org. That's S-A-G-A-N-E-T.org. Thanks again for listening. Thanks so much, Emma, for joining us. This was a great conversation. Uh, be sure to tune in next month for the next installment of Beer with BMSIS. See you later. Science replaces private prejudice with publicly verifiable evidence. There's real poetry in the real world. Science is the poetry of reality. We can do science, and with it, we can improve our lives. Thank you.